Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Moves Podcast, where we talk about how to develop happy, healthy, resilient children into happy, healthy, resilient adults. I'm your host, Dr. Debbie Ray. PhD candidate with the Link Project, Daryl Campbell-Pierre, sits down with his mentor, Dr. Ray, to discuss his three years of research dedicated to motor competence and postural balance in children through an assessment called the KTK. The issue facing children right now is non-fatal fall injuries. Children don't seem to have the skill set necessary to maintain balance during complex movements like they used to. What's happened? It will be explained with Daryl. Hey, Daryl, it's so good to have you on today. I'm really excited about what you have to say about um, the KTK and postural balance, motor competence kind of stuff. Um, Before we get started, though, I would really like for you to give just a little bit of background about where you've been and where you are now and um, just, you know, what that brings to today's conversation. Awesome. I'm so happy to be here with you today, Dr. Ray. So I am an occupational therapist by train. I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. I came to TCU and been working with the Link Project for the past three years. It's been an amazing experience. Um, I've learned a lot since I've been here. Um, And I've also been able to braid my occupational therapy experiences with the things that they're doing at the Link Project. And I think it's just been a really good combination as we continue to move this ship forward. I tell you what, I remember back when we had our first conversation, uh, gosh, it's been three and a half years ago now. Yeah. And, you know, the conversation was around, hey, I'm, I'm really interested in learning more about what you're doing with Link. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have to bring up COVID. I mean, your first year with us <laughs> was, was a COVID year and yeah. you didn't really get to see the kids out in the schools, did you? I didn't get a chance to get to see the kids out in the school, but I really do feel like it really was start of something new to kind of see exactly where Link is going to be driving forward because it created a frame of reference for me, um, knowing that what you have been doing with the Link project previously, but now knowing that we're moving in a different direction, we need new skills, we need to acquire new people that are really going to be able to enhance these children's development. And I think uh, COVID, yes, it was a terrible thing, but it also created a new opportunity for us to move forward. Absolutely. You know, I, I know that that particular year, it was it was just difficult to help you understand, you know, what do we do out there in schools? And especially with four unstructured play breaks a day and that character piece. Um, and so your second year was like drinking out of a fire hose because all of a sudden we were back in the schools <laughs> It was like, bam, let's get you out there as much as we can. But I think what was good about that first year is it it gave us a conversation around what is it you want to do and um, how best to do that. And and you had said it's a combination of your occupational therapy and what you saw with kids back in that time and where you are now with looking at kids who have multiple recesses and those that have 30 minutes or less of recess a day. And, you know, what was the thought process that you went through in that first year towards your second year around, you know, I know what's going on with kids. It it seems like we've got issues around injuries and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and where that has taken us today? Yeah. um, When I really take, 
had that time to really reflect. Um, I came from a lot of raw experience that I got from my occupational therapy background. And I had a chance to work in a pediatric outpatient clinic. So I was all of my interventions and my focus for helping these children advance were not involved into schools at all. It was more of the motor coordination. It was more of that motor competence. And I really created interventions to really enhance these skills through different obstacle courses. I was actually really just having a lot of fun with the children and create and creating a, a very inviting um space in the pediatric clinic so therefore we can enhance these different skills but when i had the chance to work with you dr ray you introduced school and one thing about occupational therapy we are very occupation focused and one of the biggest things that children need to be to do is their occupation is to be a good student they're hearing that from their parents they're hearing that from the school officials and they're also hearing that from everyone to where i want to be a good student so you actually introduced to how can I really enhance these children's occupation? Um, if I really love occupational therapy, and if I really love what I'm doing, how can I make these children a better student? And you honestly created a space for me to where, hey, we're seeing that injuries is the second leading cause of non-fatal injuries in, um, in the United States. Children are going to the emergency room because they do not have, they're not equipped with the motor competence that they need to sustain postural balance. And you trying to, and you introduce to where, hey, I'm giving these children four unstructured play breaks. I'm giving them an opportunity to learn the environment that's around them, but also give them them opportunities to challenge their bodies through these different play experiences. If that's running up a slide backwards, if that's uh, playing tag with a friend, if that's doing a cartwheel, these different motor activities are challenging their bodies to be able to sustain that postural balance and learn how to fall so they can not go have injuries. But I think the biggest cause that um, the language that we used in that first year is sedentary behavior. Sedentary behavior is really the biggest reason that is really hindering these children to advance. Yeah. You know, when I think about where we've come over the past few years, and we'll get back to what you're doing with your dissertation, but when I think about what what has happened over the last 20, 30, 40 years, you know, that's a long time for something to be slipping away. But what's been slipping away is the active mindset and bodies of children and of adults. And if if we on the podcast are thinking about this, you know, thinking about how much time do we get outside? How much time do we move around? How much time do we really make sure our bodies are moving in different ways? And that this all relates back to how well we sit in a chair, how well we're able to work with technology, how well we're able to um, move from one location to the next without injury. I mean, all of these things are all related to our motor skills and postural balance, right? I mean, with sedentary behavior, you have no postural balance. Everything starts, what, what, what does it start doing, Daryl? If, if we don't have movement, what happens in our sedentary times in a chair? What, what do we start looking like? So we start really curling over. Our, our core stability starts to get weak and we start becoming more prone to more deficiencies because of this non-motor movement that we're having. I believe that 
as sedentary behavior continues to grow, our children are not going to have be equipped to be able to make these spontaneous movements, to be able to adjust to how the world is revolving, especially because it happened so abruptly with COVID. You're speaking from times to where children weren't getting enough playtime pre-COVID, but because of COVID happened so abruptly, children changed their way of how they went to school. They started to go in school virtually, being at home. Those natural movements that you got to going to school, to waking up, going to the bus stop, walking to the bus stop, transitioning between classes, that became non-existent because children can just get up and log onto a computer and sit for six to seven, eight hours. Um, so therefore, it created some bad behaviors that honestly, children are probably still experiencing today because it's a learned behavior you still got to think about the babies as well. The five-year-olds, they started school on a Zoom call, honestly, and they're they're being put back into place. They're in the second grade now and have all these expectations, but they might not have the motor competence to go with being able to sit in that chair for six to seven, eight hours to be able to receive the information from their children. I mean, from the teachers, because yeah. it's just, it's really impacted them a lot. Oh, I, I mean, can you imagine what children are feeling like if they they have to sit all day long and just everything is starting to slump, right? Your shoulders start to roll over, like you said, and you start slumping in your core area, which is your your diaphragm and your your um, uh, mid range, your waist range. I mean, everything just starts compressing. I can just imagine not only are we having motor competence and postural balance issues, but that's going to go into digestion and the ability for, you know, waste to move away from the body and without going to gross stuff. But I mean, it's like we have trouble moving things, right? If, if our bodies become more stagnant and sedentary. So yeah, very important topic that you're working with. And I'm really excited that you're going to, uh, branch out into some of the things that you've been doing with this uh, over the last three years. So let's let's jump in. Um, you know, we had conversations around this. We started talking about, yeah, we want to look at postural balance. That, that was the main thing we were looking at. And then it spread out to motor competence. And what does that look like? Um, can you define for us so that our listeners know what we're talking about? What would what would motor competence be? So when you think about the term motor competence, motor competence is a general term that means a lot of different motor activities as far as uh, functional motor activities, functional gross motor activities, motor skills. Motor competence is the big umbrella to it gives children the ability to move, be able to react and be able to create spontaneous behavior to sustain stability or a base of support we have combined it with looking at postural balance because postural balance allows us to have that stable base of support so children can engage in different activities, especially when we focus in on schools because they're being asked to carry out different activities in schools, which they need a proper amount of postural balance to be able to do those things. So let me, yeah, let me ask you this. Um, if we're talking postural balance and motor mm -hmm. competence, Here's how I would see the two coming together. And then you you give me some ideas or thoughts on this. It would be like a, uh, a person, child or adult, walking downstairs, lose their footing a little bit, 
And because they have good postural balance and motor competence, they're able to correct the, the movement of, whoops, losing balance. So correct that and become balanced again to get back into the mode of stepping down the stairs to the bottom step without falling, without you know, going down on knees or whatever it might be. Would, would that be an example that you're talking about with this combination of motor competence and postural balance? Yes, because the motor competence will be the response that you'll be, that they will be experiencing when they're slipping down the steps and trying to find a way to regain. If that's holding on to the banister, if that's putting your, your arm back to uh, place on the step so you don't fall and create an injury, then being able to use that movement to help not fall, to be able to regain themselves, to have that base of support, to continue going down the steps. So I have a great example of this. Let's see if this is uh, something that you've seen as well out there. So we have, you know, playgrounds, as, as you know now, because you've been out there for a couple of years, but playgrounds, school playgrounds, where they have a raised area around the equipment. So it might be around the slides and the bridges and uh, monkey bars and things like that. But it's a raised area that might be with um, railroad ties or it might be a plastic type thing, but it's, it's usually about no more than a foot off the ground. And that raised area then has mulch in there so that if they did jump off of something, they would have a fall surface that they could um, react to and get back up. But what I love seeing is when we're all out on the playground and kids will be running nonstop from a flat ground to that raised area and you'll see them kind of leap up onto that raised area without stopping at all and land. And if they are trying to get that balance off that one foot landing off of a leap, they'll put the hand down on the ground, bounce them back up where they can actually feel, you know, that they're coming back up into it. And then there they go again and they don't fall. They just overcorrect, you know, they, where they correct what they've done and off and running they are again. Um, yeah, you see some that just kind of slide across because they, they lose the footing. But when you know that they've got good postural balance, they know how to put that hand down like you were saying and, and recover and keep going. That is, that is right? absolutely correct. But when you're talking about me and what I'm seeing, I think the biggest thing of when they're able to jump onto that wooden terrain and be able to move across these different paths that you see on the playground between a black top through a, a grassy surface into wooden mulch, the biggest important thing is that the children know that they have the ability to do this because they're building that self-confidence because they have yes. the proper motor competent skills to be able to do these things. So they feel very secure in knowing their limits. When a child knows their limits and know what they can do, that is gonna be the key to help them prevent themselves from injuries because they can make those sound cautious decisions to be like, hey, this might be testing my limits too much. So where I'm gonna stay away from danger rather than just being able to engage and having fun outside on the playgrounds with my friends. They know that what they can do because they have that self-awareness. Self, I mean, that motor competence 
builds self-awareness in a child and it gives them the ability to know what they can and what they can't handle when engaging in different motor tasks, especially on the playground, because around 30% of these injuries of non-fatal injuries are happening outside on the playground because it can be dangerous. Um, it can't in combination with risky play, but with knowing what they can do motorly, helps them build that self-confidence and it helps them protect themselves from injuries because they can make sound decisions to know this is something that I can do. This is something that I might need to be stare away from. And this it might not be safe. And this is what is seen as a dangerous hazard. So it kind of builds into their psychological a little bit, honestly, just from the physical, it builds into their psychological to where like, they just feel self-confidence. They're more aware and they're, and they know exactly how they should be able to move and torque their body as they're moving through these different terrains when they're playing outside on a playground. Absolutely. You, you've hit on some key areas here and why we're doing the research we are on this is that when kids have less opportunities to move throughout the day, they are less confident in their abilities to move in general. And it kind of goes in this self prophecy of the child doesn't move all day. Okay. They get up and move. They, you know, fall and hurt themselves. Well, I don't want to do that again. I, I think I'll just sit more. I'll just do my, my e-games, my, my games on computer. You know, I'll just sit here and do this and their bodies become conform to this sedentary behavior instead of getting up and actually moving more, but it's creating this injury issue that we're seeing. And it's, it's a large percentage of kids who are becoming more injured. Um, okay. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit. So tell me about your research. Uh, what are your topics that you're working on and what are you, what are you finding so far with these different elements that you're assessing? Um, and, you know, what, what's the big dissertation that you're working on now? Awesome. So my research has been really mixing two components together. I'm looking at an emphasis as far as the physical motor competence, but also looking at how that correlates with the cognitive uh, performance that you are seeing in schools, because honestly, that's what children are in school for. They're looking, they're being assessed each and every day what their cognitive performances are. Um, been working with you, Dr. Ray, and we have been able to identify a motor coordination assessment that gives us the ability to evaluate children's motor competence as it relates to postural balance in typical and atypical children. And I believe this is very important because when you look at physical education classes, especially in the United States, they they come from a very large array of students that are on different developmental tracks. Some might be typical, known as normally developing children, and some might be atypical, which they might have some motor delays from a different diagnosis. So by find, identifying this assessment tool, it gives everybody a fair chance to be able to evaluate their motor competent skills. Now, the big hurdle that we've been jumping across for these past couple of years is that the KTK has not been used in the United States. There's honestly no literature of the assessment being used and there are very clear depictions why they haven't been used because it was created in germany 
the language is different. Um, as far as the scoring materials, there is no United States manufacturer. So it's no one here that can make this equipment for us. And there are there is no standardized manual in the English language as well. But with your strong connections and your time spending and filling, you were able to provide me with a contact and we actually had a great conversation to really be helping to identify these components that we just didn't have privy to us because of the KTK not being administered in the United States. So we were able to develop a score sheet. We were able to develop uh, scoring protocols, and we were able to get the dimensions of the equipment that was used across seas in these different foreign assessments, especially in Germany, Finland, Brazil, we were able to get those demographics of the equipment and replicate those replicate those equipments so we can have a set of equipment that we can use in the United States uh, physical education classes to be able to assess their motor competence. We went on this um, journey that we just talked about as far as how children can build the self-confidence by having a good motor competence feel for themselves. But in order to know that, we have to be able to evaluate these motor competence abilities. But if we're introducing a new motor coordination assessment, we have to, there's some steps that we have to go along. And that's what my dissertation presents. It's really presenting an avenue how we are really incorporating the evaluation of motor competence in atypical and typical children and really starting to do those emphasis state in the real emphasis stages and starting introducing these to children that are getting different dosages of recess. So our link children, they are really awarded with 60 minutes of physical unstructured play breaks each and every day. And we created a platform so we can kind of really see exactly recess on a lot of different areas. So we have a 30 minute group that receives unstructured play breaks and we have a 20 minute group which is usually the standard that you see in a lot of different school districts um, in Texas and actually outside of Texas um, to where we're going to get uh, just our first deep dive into looking at the scope of how recess is going to be incorporated. My dissertation com really combines the three different things. We created a, a, a feasibility study where we, we were able to look at the KTK to really introduce this into a physical education class. Then we started off with a pilot study to where we're gonna really see if physical education teachers can make all of this information that we're giving to them palatable to be able to administer in their phys physical education classes and start to look to get some preliminary data to see what's the difference between a 45 minute recess group and a 30 minute recess group. Now we know that we can do the KTK Physical education teachers have the ability to administer the KTK in their physical education classes. We are now going to look at how does the role of recess impact these three different dosages of unstructured play breaks, looking at a 60-minute groups, a 30-minute group, and a 20-minute group, and administering this motor coordination assessment that we were able to identify inside of these physical education classes to be able to see if these the role of recess is having an impact on these children motor coordination abilities by looking at two different time points everybody's able to establish a baseline and we're going to see exactly how they progress or do they decrease or do they descend over time and depending on what the data is showing but we were able to see that 
with our second study and our pilot study, there was a difference between a 45 minute group and a 30 minute group, which helps me believe that we probably could potentially see some differences between a 60, a 30 and a 20 minute group because 15 minutes of recess impacted children's motor coordination abilities to have age appropriate motor coordination skills or prepare themselves to have advanced motor coordination skills to propel them in an and honestly to be able to do motor coordination abilities at a higher age limit yeah so if you think about um you've talked about the ktk tell them what those four skills are that they're doing give just some description of what they are um you know saying the the name of it We'll give them a little bit, but really, what are they asked to do on these four skills? So the KTK is comprised of four subtests. They're acts, they're really assessing their speed, agility, strength, balance, and laterality. And the first subtest, we have a walking backwards subtest where children will walk on three various sizes of balance beams backwards to receive a step total of eight on each of the balance beams. Our second subtest is our single leg hopping subtest where it's, we are looking to see how high these children can jump off their right and their left leg. They'll balance on their right leg and they'll jump over these five centimeter foam pads and they'll continue to increase after they can complete a successful jump um, on their right and left leg to see exactly what is that explosion looking like? What is that ability to balance, be able to land and be able to continue to perform a forward movement, which we often see when children are doing postural balance activities to be able to, re to be able to jump off and regain land and be able to continue to keep an upright posture. Then we have a lateral test, which is our lateral jumping subtest, where children will be jumping for speed for about 15 seconds at a time to where see exactly how fast and how good is that lateral movement, especially when it comes to postural balance abilities. And then we have a sideways stepping where they will stand on two uh, wooden platforms where they will use a crossover maneuver to be able to move from one platform to another platform, which really replicates what we talked about earlier as far as children moving between different terrains to where how can you put another terrain down to be able to move across these different um, platforms to be able to create a balanced pattern. And that is being tested for speed as well. So it's a really unique test. It really provides a lot um, of skills that are related to postural balance that honestly get lost um, in some physical education classes when they're playing different games like a basketball, a football, a kickball. Um, these skills are not individualized. And I think the, KT, the KTK has a very unique way of individualizing these motor skills to be able to assess where children's strengths and weaknesses are. So, yeah, interesting that, you know, with these KTK, I mean, they're so fun for these kids to do and they love doing them. There's also another component you're working with, which is connecting the cognition to their ability to move. And if they're able to move in different ways, then the cognition should be better. The attentional focus should be better. So talk a little bit about this cognition piece. What are we testing from that perspective um, with the prefrontal cortex, with attentional um, focus with these kids? What are you doing on that side of it? 
So when we're looking at the cognitive perspective, we're really taking that first look at executive functioning by looking at their working memory to be able to look at their reaction times by using an attentional fatigue test where children will be presented with this test and they will see arrows pop up on the screen. They'll be able to react to the arrows and also be able to say word, I mean, these numbers that are coming out of headphones at the same time to work this multitasking, which is also known as working memory because they're recalling the numbers that are in the headphones. And they're also pressing these arrows that are popping up on the screen to see their reaction time. What we're going to do, we're actually going to run a correlation test to kind of see exactly what areas of the KTK have the strongest connection with that cognitive ability and also look at what groups that perform amongst the three groups between our 60, 30 and 20 minute group. How did they perform cognitively um, looking at this working memory and looking at this reaction time that they're giving to us on our cognitive test to see if there is some significance there to where we can be able to determine that they have some correlation. Um, one thing that people might not know is that that motor coordination ability really resides in that prefrontal cortex, like you said, but also the cognitive ability for executive function relies there too. So they there is a strong correlation to where when you think about motor tasks, it comes with motor planning. It's a lot of things that needs to happen before somebody is able to create a, a movement. Um, and that happens cognitively and they reside in the same area of the brain to where we can kind of see exactly how these two components are correlating together and yeah. see exactly can we exhaust the best out of helping children have their best efforts moving forward, both motorly and cognitively. Yeah, this will be a really interesting part. You know, we don't have the data yet on that. I mean, we're collecting the data right now on this, but uh, it'll be really interesting to see if our 60 minute group correlates much stronger with better reaction times in this, especially doing two tasks at the same time, because the more we have to attend to something, the less reactive we're going to be to it. And like you said, you know, if we're finding that these kids are having to attend less to get the task done because they're just, they're sharper in what they're doing because of the 60 minutes of recess every day. That's going to be a huge difference, um, you know, day after day after day of having learning ability because they're able to listen, they're able to attend, they're able to do things simultaneously that right now with 20 minutes or less, these kids are really finding it difficult to be able to focus for more than five minutes at a time, you know, and they're expected to be in there for, uh, sometimes upwards of two hours before they have a break. So this will be really interesting stuff, Daryl, and I, I'll have to have you back on to talk about these latest results once we have those, because I, th I think that's going to be a really interesting discussion to have. Um, and I really appreciate all that you're doing with this and, and your interest in, in kids and, and what's going on with them. But let's let's shift for just a second, just from a parent, community partners, physical educators, people out there in the field who work with kids every day, what are some things that they can do while these kids are younger? What are things that they can do to make sure that our kids are getting the experiences that they need out there? <laughs> I think one of the biggest things that um, 
our community partners and our parents and our teachers and school officials can do is really take the power back as far as how can we continue to advance these children's motor developments. And it really starts with putting the phones down, putting the technology down, putting putting these different compensating learning experiences away and going back to our roots as far as letting children experience outdoors, letting children experience outside, because this is what's going to help these children be able to introduce themselves to new environments and be able to navigate through these environments. But these play a big role that honestly, a book, a tablet, a computer, honestly, a teacher even lecturing for a long time, you can't teach these children. This is very valuable experience that children need to be able to help learn themselves and be able to learn what they can do motorly. Let them run, let them play, give them a brain break so they can recharge and be the best selves for you because that's what you're seeing. And I think we have to understand that children are under someone else's supervision. Doesn't matter if it's school officials, doesn't matter if it's parents, doesn't matter if it's community partners. That means the responsibility is on us. It's on the senior people in the senior role or that are in the supervisory role of these children because we have to carve out this time to be able to give these children the ability to recharge their brain, to be able to learn from these outdoor experiences. And we have to take that responsibility and own to it. We cannot continue to be passive because what we're doing is really hindering our children from reaching their full potential. And we need to make sure that we are taking control of this because I understand we're coming, we're talking post COVID it's 2023. I understand how COVID impacted our lives for the past two years, honestly, almost three years as we're kind of seeing that we're coming into this post-COVID era, but knowing that these children were stripped away from these experiences because we went on um, United States mandates to where social distancing and we had to alternate these different learning experiences for these children, that means it is very valuable to put that effort out there to where, hey, go out, put, put the tablets down, put the phones down, put the computer down, video games, Honestly, even if the kids are at home doing homework and sitting down, take a break, go outside, recharge your mind. Then we can come back and I'm going to help you on your math problems. Uh, 15 minutes can change a child's life. And I think what we need to understand is how can we really create an opportunity to save their lives? And by saving these children's lives are opening up the doors and creating a safe environment for these children to go out to go outdoors and have play experiences. Yeah, absolutely. You've hit on great points. Uh, And, you know, I would say if they're working on their assignments or whatever at home or whatever it may be, don't go more than an hour, hour 15 before you get them outside again. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just so important for these kids not to sit more than 60 minutes at a time. They really need that. Okay. Last thing that we're going to, and this is kind of a forecast. If you've got kids who are able to have that 60 minutes a day of outdoor time, at least 60 minutes a day, I mean, we would love for them to have every hour, 15 minutes of outdoor playtime, because that's what kids are built to do is play and move and be outside and, uh, you know, 
explore different ways of doing what they do. Like you've said, I mean, it's all about that confidence to be able to look at something and say, I can do this or running full speed ahead and going, yeah, I can make that leap. No problem at all. And just reacting to it and moving on. But let's take these kids that might have 60 minutes a day mm-hmm. of play every day. And let's, let's forecast them out to um, adulthood and aging adults. So let's go 50 years from now with these kids and say, they're getting movement now. What are they going to be like when they're older adults? I believe that the kids that are moving now and experiencing 60 minutes of unstructured play breaks each and every day, they are going to grow into being healthy, physical adults. They're learning a behavior that is going to be ingrained into their mental to where, hey, I need to get out. I need to move. And it's going to help them be able to handle situations as they continue to progress. If that's through adulthood and that's and and that's into their seniorship to where I know that I need to go get these brain breaks. I know I need to move because their body is going to be able to handle this movement that they're getting because it's going to be such a learned behavior. And that learned behavior is going to continue to manifest because as they continue to mature, this is when they're going to be able to introduce new comp- new components that are very tailored for them. So it helps children build an individualized plan to be able to nurture their body through aging. That's why we need to be able to give them 60 minutes because it's all about exploring their environment. The kids do not have to be doing the same thing because everything doesn't work outside for each child. They find out what is important to them and how they can get the most out of their bodies. And I think that is the key because they will always be able to connect that as they age um, through adulthood Mm -hmm. and through their seniorship to where like, hey, this intense activities that everybody's doing, that's not for me. I can go outside, I can walk for an hour, but I keep my heart rate at a good time. I'm getting my 10,000 steps. But you might have a kid that just love to play tag when we're out there and he might be that person that's running that 5K, running that 10K. And he experiences that type of um, physical activity, but he understands what works for him or she understands what works for him. It allows them to make the best decisions for themselves to age properly. It's so interesting. Uh, Dr. John Medina, who has done a lot with brain rules, that's his book. And he's done brain rules for children and brain rules for adolescents and brain rules for healthy living, um, you know, all kinds of things. But one of the things that he has said, and I think it goes so true to what you're saying, is that <clears throat> motor memory, cognition, things that we're putting into our memory for life, sometimes take up to 10 years to put in long-term memory. If we are keeping our kids in sedentary behaviors through their first 10 years of life or their first 15 years of life, that motor memory has a huge deficit. And to overcome that through life becomes more and more of an obstacle to really bring that back into a person's life. So when you talk about that healthy adult, which you did so well, it really has to do when you've got that 60 minutes a day or more, you're building that 10 years of, of motor memory and cognition memory that now becomes sustainable for life. And it's, it, it's, it's huge. But when we are, you know, trading one for the other, 
it, it just, it goes off on us. So Daryl, it's been great having you on today. I really enjoyed our conversation around children and moving and how parents and community and everybody can, you know, get into this and be part of it. Uh, any parting thoughts from you uh, before we say goodbye today? My one final thought is just, I think the Link Project is a great opportunity to really impact children's lives. Um, and as people continue to wrap their arms around or wrap their minds around the Link Project, you're honestly really going to see people that really care about these children. And they are really proposing research and doing the intervention to be able to provide these children an opportunity. And I think that is a big component to really gravitating towards it because you know that there's people here and there's people that are really making sure that we're providing different learning experience for children, um, especially inside the school system. And that's the four 15 minute unstructured play breaks or the 15 minute character development that they're getting each and every day. You're understanding that people are working. Um, and that's what I want people to know when they see the link project, as they continue to see it, that there are people that genuinely care about children and they are putting their, they're doing all the groundwork to make sure that they're giving them the ability to maximize their full potential so they can be healthy adults and they can really roll into being into that geriatric population so they can just develop across the lifespan. Thank you so much. Yeah, those comments are huge. I so appreciate that. Um, yeah, we're we're out there, really, charting the the territory for what needs to be an everyday school setting for kids every day. And um, I appreciate all the work you're doing with your research to get it to that point where we know, you know, how much is recess helping with motor competence and postural balance. I mean, it's just, it's huge for what is going on for kids and how they'll be our next generation of adults. Um, and I love what you said at the end about geriatrics. I hope, like myself, I hope that we're able to stay out of hospitals and, um, you know, places that are these, where others are taking care of us. I hope we're able to stay out of there longer and right. really be healthy all the way up until our 90s, you know? I mean, yeah, there are gonna be some things that work against us, but all in all, if we're moving all the time and staying healthy and doing the things we're supposed to do, we can live long lives, right? And long productive lives, not just, oh, I wish my life would go, you know, <laughs> I wish we were done. No, I mean, really productive lives. So Daryl, thanks so much. I have loved having you as a PhD student and I'm looking forward to where you're gonna go with your next steps. and all the things you're going to be able to do after you get out there as well. So thanks again for today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And as always, take care, have a great week, and play often. This podcast was brought to you by the Link Center for Healthy Play at Texas Christian University. To learn more about the Link Center and the resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at www.linkproject.tcu.edu. 